And thank you for joining us on Colin for Unruly with Ryan and Rob. This is your co-host, Ryan Knight, and I'm excited to be joined uh, by our guest tonight, uh, Tiffany Bond. Tiffany is an independent candidate who is running for the House in Maine's 2nd District. Tiffany, welcome to Unruly. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, I'm actually I'm excited to have you on today uh, and to get a chance to speak with you because you were running kind of an unconventional uh, campaign and and a campaign that's right up my alley. Uh, and what I think is really the most grassroots campaign that we've ever seen. And you may, in fact, be the only be the first candidate who's running for office who is not asking us to rush you fifteen dollars to your campaign. Uh, instead, you're encouraging your supporters to donate to local food banks and charities uh, and small businesses in your community. Uh, Tiffany, what inspired you to run a campaign where you were asking people to invest directly into your community and to people who need help directly instead of sending money to your campaign? And what has been the reaction uh, in your community to, 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 to this type of campaign that you're running? Yeah. So when I, I've run for office once before in 2018 against the same gentleman, what are the odds? Um, so I'm, I'm running against a current congressman and a former congressman. It's, uh, it's an interesting race. We can get into that later, but I basically thought, you know, I'm an independent. I'm not bound by a party. I'm in a ranked choice vote race, which, you know, I think it's just us in Alaska that has these. And so we are really trying to set a model for what the U.S. could be for elections. And I was like, well, I just don't want to run a regular campaign with that. Like, let's let's have fun. Let's change all the gross stuff. So in 2018, I tried interviewing a few consultants and every consultant that I interviewed just really nailed the coffin shut of me having a consultant. They wanted me to do all these things they didn't want to do. They wanted me to beg people on a daily basis who who don't have money to give me money. And I'm like, well, if I'm if I'm saying I'm there to help people who are elderly and disabled and poor and vulnerable, why am I asking them for the last three dollars out of their grocery budget? That's just awful. Oh, well, some people won't want to donate. Okay, but there's better ways to use the money. And Maine is a pretty inexpensive media market. So if you recall the Senate elections in 2020, they spent about $100 million on that race. It was a lot. It was so much that campaigns had money left over at the end and not just a little money, like over $15 million money. And it was everywhere. It was every YouTube, your phone attacked you in ways that you didn't realize was possible. You know, apps that had never previously advertised to you, advertised to you. It was you know, with five or six postcards a day. It was every commercial. It was, it was awful and everybody hated it. And it had already been heading that way for a long time. So, um, I mean, the, the poor ethics commission for that handles the, the questions on how, um, you know, what's permissible for a congressional run. I spent a lot of time on the phone with them trying to figure out how can we take this icky stuff and make it profoundly less icky. So the first thing I did, and there's a whole bunch of other things that I've tried to do, but the first thing is that I don't want to do fundraising. So first I had to come up with a name for it. And it turns out it all Googles to porn, but rain raising doesn't. But anything <laughs> with raising or rising in the title, there's just a lot of wieners around. And I thought we should probably have a wiener free campaign, all things considered. So um, 
And I thought, well, how do I not touch the money? I can't get rid of the money entirely, but how do I not make it icky? Because there's two ways that the money makes it icky. You know, they buy influence, right? And then they also beg you all the time for money. And both of those things are pretty gross, right? So I thought, well, what's a useful way to do to do the money? And I, I was thinking about one of Maine's most untapped natural resources is gossip. And so as long as my transactions weren't over or under market price, they were a neutral. So I am very specific. I have people either donate to um, 501c3, so you get a tax write-off of equal value, or purchase something from small businesses at uh, market rate. So nobody's getting a special discount or nobody's paying too much. And then with both of those kinds of transactions, you can actually leave a note for the seller or for the person you're donating to that says, hey, um, Tiffany Bond wouldn't take my money or didn't want my money. She asked me to go invest in the community. And so I found your great chapstick or I'm completing your your project on Donors Choose this month. We're filling teacher requests on DonorsChoose.org. Um, so you can find a thread that is pinned to the Twitter account that's uh, at Main Raising. And we've we filled dozens this month and hundreds overall of teacher projects trying to get teachers so they're not happy to use all of their own money to run classrooms. And, it, you know, it's just a healthier, happier way to get money into the community and get the word out. If 10 people do it, do I win? No. But you know what? The average big campaign in each quarterly cycle has about 100,000 individual contributors. If I can just get one quarter's worth or even 10% of one quarter's worth, I think if 10,000 people do it, I win. And it's much nicer. And so, and it's kind of creating a little grassroots effect because wherever, when anyone donates to whether it's a nonprofit or a small business, they're leaving a note with the hashtag uh, Main Rising. Uh, and so it's kind of, it, it's, it's able to kind of spread through the community, right? That you're actually, instead of taking people's money, you're encouraging people to actually just go help the community. Absolutely. And the great thing about Main Rising is that I can tell when people are doing it. You know, I start getting messages. Anytime I go on a podcast, usually for a few days after, I, I get oh, excuse emails. me, it's main, it's main raising, not main, main raising. raising. My bad. Yes, okay. you might get wieners if you do main raising. <laughs> Got you. So be careful with that. Add the A in there. Um, so, yeah, um, if whenever I go on a podcast I, or on the radio or anytime I have any kind of media plug, Usually for several days after, I start getting emails or direct messages that are basically folks who run small businesses, and they send me a message, and they say, hey, I just got an order that said to look you up, so please tell me about your campaign. And when was the last time you actually wanted to ask someone about their campaign? Usually you're like, please don't tell me anymore. I've got 38 postcards this week. Yeah. So it's it's a really nice introduction, and people want to know about the campaign that way because I'm not forcing it on them. Well, and, and especially in this climate, I mean, both parties are just begging us for money. I mean – you know, the Democrats have kind of mastered it. You know, they say, you know, every election cycle, it's, 
you ha- you have to rush me fifteen dollars to save democracy. You know, you have to rush right. me fifteen dollars so I can protect Roe v. Wade. And they're really good at fundraising about important issues, but they're not so good at actually fighting uh, for the issues that they say they're going to fundraise. Right? It, you know, it, so it's it, we've gotten into a point where you know I was a Democrat for twenty years, and and now I also am an independent, and I consider myself you know for much further left than the Democratic Party. Or I would just say you know I just I I don't agree with any money in politics. I don't believe that the government uh, should be an institution that serves the wealthy and serves big business, big businesses. Those people already have everything they need. I believe the government should be a vehicle that's serving uh, the people in the community who are at, at the most vulnerable and the most in risk. Uh, and, and we really see the opposite. Um, and so that's what kind of drew me. You know, you caught my attention when I when I read a note from someone on Twitter. They said, oh, I'm donating to this charity this month, be, uh, you know, for this candidate who asked me not to send them $15, but instead they want me to send the money directly to this, you know, to this to this nonprofit organization. And I just think that's great. And look, I mean, it's it's not a secret that our elections and both major parties have been deeply corrupted by corporate money. And, and for me, you know, I, I'm 40 now, so I've been voting in multiple, you know, cycles for Congress and for president. And, and, you know, in 2018, it was kind of my big political awakening that, you know, when both parties are owned by the same, uh, you know, by the same big corporations, but when they're both owned by the military industrial complex and by big pharma and, and the giant insurance companies uh, and Wall Street, it doesn't really matter who wins uh, these elections because really big business wins every election and the ruling class wins because they own both parties. And in a representative democracy, the people are really the ones who are supposed to choose the officials who, who decide our legislation. But really in our system, you can make the case that it's big business in the ruling class that are choosing the officials who decide legislation because they buy our elections and they own both major parties. Uh, it's not really democracy at all. It's an oligarchy. And, you know, it goes without saying, but a government that is bought by the 1% is never going to govern for the 99%. So, Tiffany, is running a grassroots campaign like yours uh, where you're asking people to just donate uh, and help the community directly instead of donating to politicians and parties, could this be a possible blueprint blueprint for how we can move forward uh, in our political system that is rigged against everyday people? And then secondly, can a campaign like yours generate enough momentum uh, to compete against big money? Or do we also need to be advocating for things like a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United so we can just remove money from politics altogether? So the answer is yes, yes, and good freaking luck. So what you're going to run into is if I can get enough support to win, here's what will happen. I'll win, right? But that means that next election cycle, instead of one person doing something like main raising, you'll get maybe 10. And then a few of those will win. And then it'll be maybe 20 the next cycle. And so it is something that can create change over time. And probably snowball you'll probably just see a few the first few years and then when it shows that it works then goodness you'll see a lot and wouldn't it be great if this is how everybody did it we we would look forward to campaign season we would look forward to whichever candidate could really truly say hey i'm going to support the community and then go do it the problem with citizens united and i would love to see it struck down but the problem with it is everybody gets elected using all of that cash and there is zero motivation from either party to make that go away or change that system there aren't the votes and you know i I think of it like potato chips you know i 
I could wait like 30,000 years for my body to figure out how to metabolize potato chips as my primary source of calories, or I could just eat different. Right? So right now we're so stuck on potato chips that I, we're not going to get out of that. We're, we're, we're only going to change it if we eat different. And so your best way to conquer the market is to use the market against itself. The market's a great tool if you can be clever and get it to work for you. Yeah, well, I mean, I like the idea of campaign season instead of being about, I mean, because our elections have really just turned into an industry in and of itself. So not only are these is big business, uh, you know, buying access to uh, our officials so they can, our, our officials will write legislation that favors them, but the elections have actually turned into an industry for for the political class to make a lot of money. Uh, we saw in the 2020 cycle, there was $14 billion raised and spent on the presidential election and on the races for, for House and Senate. And it was actually the Democrats who raised and spent more money. They, they raised $8 billion and spent $8 billion, and the Republicans spent $5 billion. So I just look at things very simplistically, that a political party that's taking billions of dollars, mostly from special interests and from, from corporate interests is never going to represent everyday people. So we have to start thinking outside of the box. We have to start doing things differently. And I applaud people like you who are going out there in this system that is rigged against us and, and fighting a little bit differently. Um, I also want to talk about uh, ranked choice voting because I know you live in Maine and that is a state with ranked choice voting. Has this made it easier for independent candidates uh, like yourself to run for office without a bunch of folks fear mongering about the so-called spoiler effect? And, and would you like to see ranked choice voting uh, implemented in every state? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> so the thing that's made it hard is ranked choice voting. We first got to use it in Maine in 2018 for our federal races. And, um, I was actually the candidate that threw a race to ranked choice voting. You, you could not have written a better test case. It was perfect. Um, the, the Republican had the most votes in the first round, but didn't reach more than 50%. And then the Democrat ended up prevailing after the votes were reallocated. So it was exactly the structural factors you would need for uh, a case to try in the courts. And for anyone who doesn't know what ranked choice voting is. God, I wish we could put that on a billboard for every liberal who shames, you know, I vote third part, I vote for the green oh, yeah. party, but because yeah. I see what I actually see is, is, you know, a party that calls itself democratic. Uh, I see them more against things like ranked choice voting and third parties than even some conservatives who I disagree with. I disagree with conservatives uh, on almost every policy. But what I like is that they're not actually trying to, you know, suing to kick the Green Party off the ballot, whereas the Democrats, you know, they say they're so Democratic, but they're actually they they they, they're fighting right now to sue to to sue to kick the Green Party off the ballot in several states. They're so anti-Democratic in their actions. And and even, you know, liberals themselves, you know, they say they believe in democracy while they're actually like they're scared of democracy. They're scared of people having more choices. They're scared of people having better choices on Election Day. I wish people heard what you just said, that actually the, the ranked choice voting stopped the Republican from winning and it helped the Democrat win. Uh, because I imagine people had ranked you one uh, and then ranked the Democrat number two. Uh, and so then those people on the second ballot uh, threw the race to the Democrat. Well, and it also... It, it drives voter turnout. You get people who show up to vote that wouldn't otherwise because they suddenly have their candidate in the race and their candidate didn't get 
shoved out. I mean, if people want the votes of independence, they have to give our candidates the same consideration and grace they want us to give theirs. So it's it was it was a really interesting study. It was a really interesting um, test of how it worked. And it was, again, you couldn't have written a better case. Uh, just in case anybody doesn't know what ranked choice voting is, do you want me to sort of explain the experience? Please. Because I yes, think, but, so, so as a voter, it's easy peasy. So I'll, I'll kind of describe it as a voter and then the back end. As a voter, you just kind of go in and you say, well, you know, I like Tiffany first. She's, she's interesting. She's competent. She's reasonable. She has lots of common sense. You know, I can, I can talk to the gamut. So this morning I was doing conservative talk radio and now I'm on the line with a socialist, right? I do the whole range here. And, um, I love it, I by can, the way. I That's can... amazing. I saw someone try to scare you away from coming on the show and, and, oh. and I, I saw your reply and I love that because, you know, if you want to live in a democracy, you should listen to everyone. You know, you Absolutely. should be open to all ideas. And right now we see political debate in this country. It really just goes from the blue corporate party to the red corporate party, you know, right. from MSNBC to Fox News. We don't really get any 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 other uh, political thought. So it's kind of sad. But go ahead, please. And, and you know what I discovered is is the news channels actually really like having me in the debates because it's a much better debate when I'm present. So, you know, they're actually sort of trying to find ways to keep me in the debates, even if there aren't polls with the right numbers to get me there, because otherwise it's just two guys yelling at each other about team red and team blue. It's awful. Back to how it is as a voter. So as a voter, you go in and you're like, I kind of like to have Tiffany first. And I'm going to give this some kind of left posturing since this is a leftward leaning pod. I, you know, I'll do it the other way for uh, when I'm on a more right-leaning media, I try to give people the same information in ways they can absorb it because I think that that's what's missing in a lot of politics is talking to people how they can hear you. So maybe they want the Democrat as number two. They want a backup plan. And what happens is you just kind of rank it. I'd like Tiffany first. I'd like Jared Golden second. And I'd like Bruce Poliquin third, or they could just leave him off the ballot entirely. And if somebody gets 50% in the first round, then that's the winner. It's that easy. If nobody gets 50% in the back end or in the first round, then you get to the back end stuff. And what they do is they take the lowest number of votes um, per the candidate. There's only three in this race. In 2018, there were four. So neither one of us mathematically had the votes to be able to achieve 50%. So we got eliminated the same round. And then what happens for the voter is if your person's still in that next round, that next runoff race, your first choice stays your first choice. If your favorite person got eliminated, then it goes to your second choice. And it continues to do that in rounds until somebody gets 50% of the vote. So you get theoretically a more palatable set of representation because whoever's in office, they had to get at least 50% of people. You don't get those winning by with 34% races anymore. And it also gives the individual ballot and each voter more power and more say in our democracy because instead of just voting for one person, they get to rank multiple candidates, right? So, and, and I just, and, and in so many of our campaigns, we see, you know, in our politics today, so much of our politics is based on division and negative campaign ads. Uh, that elections have really turned into contests about voting against the other side instead of voting for a positive agenda to move this country forward. And, and don't you think ranked choice voting kind of helps uh, encourage people to more to campaign on on what they're actually fighting for instead of what they're against? 
Well, and it certainly does for me. I can tell you that the Republican and the Democrat in this race haven't caught on yet, but that's okay. So, you know, that means that I do about three quarters of my campaigning is like, hey, this is the stuff we need to work on. Here's some systemic flaws. You know, please support people in Maine. And about 25% of what I do is, you know, pointing out, you know, the Republican made this misstatement. That's not a fair assessment of the Democrat. And here's why. Here's a list of other critiques you could make that are absolutely fair critiques. You know, the real story is good enough. You don't have to make stuff up. You can just go with the real story. There are real legitimate concerns about this particular candidate and vice versa. So I do a lot of uh, what I call record correcting, where I'm basically saying, you know, that criticism isn't fair or that criticism is fair. And I'm not neutral, but I try to be objective. I have a bias, but I try to be objective in how I'm processing information. And I try to give my feedback as if I'm a voter first. So it's been really interesting this year with a lot of the newspaper coverage, because at first I wasn't getting very much on a national level. I'm still not. I'm working on that. But locally, turns out if you have your minions call the newspaper, they start covering you, you know, 50 or so calls in. Um, so I'm getting a lot more local coverage this time around. And I'm able to say, you know, for example, student loans just came up and the Democrat in the race blasted them. He loves to pick areas to be, you know, to say that he's independent from from Biden so that he can pretend that he's more conservative than he is. I don't have to worry about leaning left or right. I can just point my arrow north and I could say, you know, I don't think that the criticism that he gave is a fair criticism. Here's a good criticism of that. So his criticism was that it was out of touch with the American people and nobody wanted loan forgiveness. Well, that's not a very fair criticism. And his opinion's out of touch because uh, there's a lot of people, almost 200,000 in the state and a little under half of those in the second congressional district that have student loans. And so it's, it's pretty, you know, unaware of your constituents to say that that's not something that's needed. My criticism of it is it's great to have some loan relief, but this doesn't fix the problem. And perhaps if we'd addressed the interest issue instead or in conjunction with it, that might have actually given Everyone with student loans a real sigh of relief by taking the interest rate to zero, by taking away compounded interest, by making it 0% going forward, by getting rid of accrued interest, and by giving people a credit for interest they've already paid. So, you know, I was able to say, you know, I have some criticisms of this policy that was done by the Democrat, but the Democrat in this race, his criticism of the Democrats isn't even a fair Democrat criticism in this case. It's a bad criticism. It's a bad faith criticism. And that's a really interesting space to live in. And I think it makes the discussion so much better. What do you see as some of the best ways to push back against the divide and conquer tactics of both corporate parties? Because again, it's so much of our of our politics is about hating the other side and and kind of creating this narrative that you know if we just get rid of if we just get rid of the republicans then you know the country will be great uh and then but it's the republicans say the same thing if we just get rid of the democrats the country will be great when the truth is like if you see i just i look at i go to i love open secrets i live on opensecrets.org because it, it compiles all the fec filings and you find out who uh, each candidate is funded by and when you look at you look and see most of all of the big money and all of the big corporations have PACs 
And, and they give about half their money to Democrats and half their money to Republicans. They hedge their bets because they know that if they, if they do that, then whichever party wins, they win, right? Because they've, they've kind of – they've given money to both. And then they know that they have corporate lobbyists who they also pay that, that go in and write this legislation that is more favorable to, to corporate interests and special interests than it is to everyday people. So – but what are ways that we can kind of – so when I realize that, I'm like all this division is kind of silly because nothing's really getting done in Washington uh, except legislation that helps out the powerful. If we want to get something done, we have to start you know, uh, getting people to get away from this two-party system and start getting other thought out there and start electing people who aren't corrupted by corporate money and start just getting some independent thinkers in there who actually want to roll up their sleeves and solve problems and not just scapegoat. And, and, and try to blame the other side. So what do you think are some, some ways we can kind of push back against this divide and conquer tactic that I see so prevalent in the duopoly? And then kind of, if elected, how would you work to bring people together, you know, just around popular issues that, and popular policies that would actually benefit everyday people? So this is going to sound self-serving. It's not. It's sort of a statistical anomaly. There's really two places that folks can focus their energy this year to try and get change in D.C., and it's Maine and Alaska. And unfortunately, I'm the only independent that made it on the ballot in Maine in a federal ranked choice race. Our other congressional district doesn't have a third-party candidate, doesn't have an independent candidate. Um, I'm not totally up on what's going on in Alaska's race, but it's also ranked choice voting. So there is some opportunity there as well. I think really, truly short-term, the only thing that you're going to do that will make a difference is to start electing independence, which means we need to figure out how to take all of the energy of all the people who are frustrated and angry and, you know, angry over Republicans suppressing voters and Democrats suppressing what goes on the ballot or angry about um, Republicans saying that they are going to deliver literal crap and then doing it. <laughs> Democrats saying that they're going to deliver you stuff that they cannot or will not deliver, right? Those, those really frustrating things where you're always asked for just three more dollars to make it happen. If we just stop out of that system and say, let's focus all of the energy on Alaska and Maine, Prove the model works. Prove we can get independence in. Prove you can do it without money if you need to. And, and again, I, I didn't remove the money from the race yet. I just shifted it to the community. And if you're helping me, you're going to get either a tax write-off from contributing to a not-for-profit, or you're going to get some great stuff. Like everybody needs like jam and chapstick, right? We all need that stuff. Maine makes almost everything. The only things I haven't found made in Maine, um, mattresses we don't make mattresses here oh, unfortunately yeah or you know we also don't make like microprocessors but that's not a really popular thing for individuals to buy uh but we do make lots of stuff i mean all the way down to toilet paper we had our paper mills switch over to making toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic and they were doing you know sign up for toilet paper of the month club and you know they would ship you a box every month it was great uh, maine is very nimble we still have manufacturing here which is nice. We have a lot of artisanal manufacturing. So um, if if we can focus all of the frustration and the anger and, you know, turn that rage into something positive and get either me in Maine and or somebody in Alaska elected, that's like lightning. It's It's going to spark a fire. You know, if the next time 
If I'm in office, the next time somebody says, you can't win a race without millions of dollars, they're going to say, you know what? That woman in Maine did. And that's the end of the argument, right? I mean, there's no more. You have to raise this tens of millions of dollars. In fact, I'd argue that the Maine Senate race in 2020, that all the money in the world clearly wasn't enough for a candidate that wasn't popular. You know, money is starting to have an inverse relationship to effectiveness. We are hitting a point where money can't buy races. You have to start just being good. Well, and also I would I would tell people that it's money has proven to be a really bad investment or excuse me, uh, investing in politicians and sending money to Democrats and Republicans for the last half century. When, when we see this, the status quo, no matter what, no matter who's president, again, for the last 50 years, no matter who's been president, we've seen income inequality at record levels. We've seen the wars increase. You know, we, we see every Biden just passed the biggest military budget in history. And prior to that, it was Donald Trump who passed the biggest military budget in history. So we've just seen, a, you know, we've seen our politics get more and more corrupted. We see we, we see people like Jeff Bezos. Make, he, I think during the pandemic one day he made like. $15 billion in one day while people are like losing their houses and, and having to work two and three jobs just to survive. So the system is so unstable. It's so unbalanced. It's so tilted in the favor of big money that I just think that, you know, thinking that you're going to send $15 to a Democrat and they're going to save a democracy that doesn't really exist. It's really fool's gold. And, and like you said, we need to get people in there who are uncorrupted, who don't take money from special interests, you know, and who actually want to write legislation for people in their community. And they actually want to help, uh, you know, the people and not, not the corporation. So, uh, I'm going to get to our callers here in a second, but I have, I have another question real quickly I want to ask you, and then I'll let the callers uh, weigh in. But why did you decide to run as an independent, uh, Tiffany? And do you think we need more people to run for office uh, outside of the two corporate parties? So I decided to run as an independent because I am an independent. I've been an independent for decades. Um, so I grew up in a Republican household and then the party got weird. You know, in, in like the 80s and 90s, the Republican Party, especially I, I grew up on the West Coast, was a very different space. It was it was a lot more um, make sure you're live and let live, but that everybody also can live. It was just it was a very different party. And, you know, the area that I grew up in, really the distinction between a Democrat and Republican was how much he liked budgets, but it wasn't really anything else on policy that they were very far apart on. Obviously, we're in a very different political space now. Um, but, you know, I did investigate running as a party candidate in 2018. I didn't go approach the Republican Party because the incumbent was Republican, so I knew there would be no support there. It was kind of a year of the woman, although we might be getting a resurgence on that this year, given Rose's status. Um, and I approached the Democratic Party, and they basically told me I'd have to come up with a half a million dollars for them to take me seriously, and I thought that was ridiculous. And then I actually watched the last couple of primaries they had in big ticket races in Maine. And, you know, in 2018, there were five um, Democrats running in, and then they dropped in Jared Golden, who was sort of endorsed and had all the money and just the spigots went off to everybody else. So that wasn't a Democratic primary. I mean, it was for the Democratic Party, but there was no democracy. There was no little D democracy. I'm glad you bring this up, though, because this is how, not just in Maine, this is how the Democratic Party, I mean, look what happened to Bernie the last two presidential cycles. I mean, they use the entire party apparatus to go 
and to favor their preferred corporate candidate. And then they send, you know, the DNC has little people they send to MSNBC and they talk up whether it was in 2016, it was Hillary in 2020, it was Biden. And they'll do that every cycle in perpetuity. The goal of the Democratic Party is to give lip service to social issues and, and talk progressive when they're campaigning and make all these big promises. But when it's time to govern, the goal of the DNC and the Democratic Party is to protect their corporate donors at all costs. So they they have a really actual brilliant strategy, not for the people, but to preserve their corrupt institution where they kind of make all these promises and they say all these nice things on television and give all these fancy speeches about hope and change when you're watching them. But when you're not watching them, like in 2020, they took more corporate money uh, and more dark money than the Republicans even did. And I tell that to some liberals, even my boyfriend, when I told him that in 2020, he, he was like, I don't believe you until I actually showed him the actual facts. He had to see like a printed article and, it, and the, Demo- the Democrats took like $8 billion. The Republicans took $5 billion. You guys can go research it right now. So, but the Democrats are so good at the messaging of, of pretending to care about your interests and then governing for corporations when they have power. And, and I see this time and time again in Democratic primaries where they will favor one candidate or they'll say, oh, why, why even bother running? Why even bother having a primary? We already know who we want to fill the seat. And that is not democracy. That is, you know, the people are supposed to be picking our representatives, not the party elites. So I'm really oh my glad gosh. you brought that up. The thing that broke my heart in 2020. So I tried to run for Senate in 2020. I don't consider that a real run because I couldn't get on the ballot. I couldn't get on the ballot because I followed the pandemic guidelines, which told me not to talk to people. And then, of course, the rules set by the Democrats didn't waive that you needed wet in-person signatures in the middle of a pandemic that we didn't know how it worked. So that was a little frustrating. But before the pandemic hit, so Maine prior to 2020 had this sort of very robust in winters there were a lot of forums and debates and little community events where 50 to 100 people would be there because we have a signature requirement. And if you're a party candidate, by the middle of March, you have to have all your signatures. If you're an independent, you have twice as long, but you need twice as many signatures. The The good news is, you know, anybody can sign your form who's a registered voter. The bad news is you don't already have ready-made volunteers to go collect all those signatures for you. So it's a lot of work. It took me this year it took about 430 hours of my time to get on the ballot. So it's it's a lot of work to get on the ballot. But they didn't have them in 2020. And this was before the pandemic hit because there were three candidates running in the primary. And then they dropped in Sarah Gideon as the DNC approved candidate. She came in with an endorsement. Cash cut off to everyone. Support cut off to everyone. All of the events ended. Um, and they, they didn't even really pretend to run a primary. She wouldn't show up to any of those debates. They all got canceled, all the debates and forums. She showed up, I think, one or two of the televised debates. Might, it might have been three. I'm not sure how many televised debates they had. I wasn't as checked into that part of the race because I'm not a Democrat. Um, but my goodness, I mean, before, before that, we were having, all sorts of events where folks could meet candidates and see us match up to each other. And like you said, they just said, well, we don't really need that. It's not important. We already know who the, the front runner is. And that's, that's not democracy. And how does the average citizen participate in politics that way? One of the things I'm very upfront with on my Twitter account is I mix in some of my personal with, um, with the campaign stuff. Cause I think you deserve to know who you're getting warts and all. And 
I try to make it very clear what things I'm doing when I run that I have to put in way more energy than is reasonable for the average citizen to participate in our government. And it's a lot of things that you get to hear about that. I love that. I think that's 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 important that you that you give people those kind of, you know, real insights into into who you are and, and what you're about. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could go on and on about how undemocratic the the, the Democrats want to run the run elections. I mean, and also, you know, we had a, a Green Party candidate on the show uh, last month and he actually got the amount of signatures he needed. Uh, he got he collected, I think, 20,000 signatures to get on the ballot. And then uh, the Democrats are in charge uh, in his state in North Carolina. Uh, they were in charge of the Board of Elections, and so they just they they made up that some of the signatures weren't weren't uh, legitimate. And uh, thankfully, a judge just ruled that it was uh, unconstitutional and unlawful for them to kick uh, him off the ballot. And so he's now on the ballot. But you know, if the Democrats really supported democracy, they would have open primaries. They would they would allow independents to vote in their primaries. They would have they would support ranked choice voting. We I used to live in California. Gavin Newsom again. He talks progressive, and, and he had ranked choice voting on his debt on his desk, and he refused to sign it. You know, uh, they, we also couldn't get a single payer healthcare system passed in California. The Democrats wouldn't bring it to a vote uh, because they're owned by the giant insurance companies, just like the Republicans are. So you just see over and over again if Democrats. Democrats really believed in democracy like they say they do, they would be fighting for ranked choice voting. They would be fighting to overturn Citizens United, not just using this as, as talking points, uh, you know, in their speeches. And so, you know, I believe to have in order for us to have a robust multi-party democracy, we need people. We should we need like 10 parties or like you said, we just need everyone to not be affiliated with a party and to be independent. Uh, uh, I think that would, 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 would give us legislation that was more in line with what the people want and not legislation that favors uh, the rich and the powerful. Let's get to our callers here. Amanda, go ahead. You're on. Uh, please feel free to ask Tiffany a question. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for hosting this today. I appreciate it. And, and what an innovative. Thank you for being here. What an innovative um, program for having people give to the campaign. I missed how it was that you didn't need money in order to do the campaign so that you could do that. Sure. Is that what you're wanting me to address? I'm happy to do it. I mean, I mean, just if I could have the little synopsis of how that happened. And well, then I so just have a couple of other things. I have two other questions. Well, I'm happy to answer a piece at a time so that it's easier for okay. folks to follow. So Great. the main ways that people reach out to to voters, you know, they do it with TV, with postcards, and with door knocking. And main raising essentially takes the place of all three of those. So what you're doing is you're passing the marketing message along as a note when you either purchase something or donate. You say, hey, I bought your custom-made soap that looks really interesting. And I wouldn't have done it except Tiffany Bond told me to go and go find a local company to invest in. So I found you. And will you go look her up? Because she's trying to help little local companies. So that not only makes that business or that the person that you donate to or the group you donate to interested in the campaign, but it also sparks a lot of gossip, particularly if a few folks in a small town. So we have ninety-one municipalities in this congressional district. Most of them have fewer than a thousand people, so it doesn't take a whole lot to spark gossip. 
And then there's a few other things that I did. So another big cost. And also, I think just because our elections are so driven by corporate money and by by, you know, politicians who are out there asking for money. I just think I mean, that's what drew me to you and why I had you on the show tonight. A a politician who's not asking uh, me to rush them fifteen dollars. Instead, they want me to go support a local business or a local charity or a food bank in, in, in their community like that's just that's appealing to people who are so tired of of the back and forth of the you know the the, the rhetoric the you know oh, just I mean, we're so divided so to have someone on who's like no i'm building a campaign by asking people to invest in their community not to invest in politicians and political parties so okay so i just i guess i political parties I, I guess I just missed that that you didn't spend money on a campaign what you did was that program instead is that what i'm hearing well for the most part i spent some money so i spent under five thousand dollars actually when i ran okay i spent i spent less than eight hundred dollars and i got 5.7 percent of the vote i spent less than a nickel a vote and the winning person jared golden spent a hundred and thirty one dollars a vote like it was obscene how much media was in that race. Wow. And you know, so what I did is I basically said, How do I run with that money? Right? Like I right. am middle class now, but I have been poor in my life before. And yes. you come up with solutions, you know. Whether it yes. was needed I was I was a middle schooler and I wanted to look like I had enough money to afford kids, so I got one pair of kids and I like cut off the little blue rubber tag and rubber cemented it onto like seven different no no i think it's it's uh, it's utterly creative and it's uh, it's a wonderful it's very wonderful i thank you for sh- for sharing it so, well, so, so the other thing that i did was if wait, you look you at repeat that statistic though so you only spent five cents per vote where you're for, less where than the, five cents less than five cents and the other candidate who spent 130 dollars per vote see that 131 dollars a vote that to me is what is the power of grassroots messaging and of of i mean i see what you're doing is actually a real campaign because you're actually oh, yeah. going out in your community you're collecting signatures you're encouraging people to invest in their community to help the most in need Whereas the other ones are just using these, you know, whether it's a Democrat, they're leading on the, the, the powerful, you know, their powerful party and, 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 and the powerful donors who fund their party. And you're actually going out there in the community and, and making waves. And I just think that's what politics should be about. I think that, you know, th- this idea of, of helping someone else, of helping your community, that, that's what I thought politics was supposed to be about. It was supposed to be, I thought it was supposed to be about helping the people and planet. But really, you know, what the two corporate parties, what it's about for them, it's about controlling the people in party. You know, it's about getting people to obey this corrupt system and to think that, you know, one of the things I think that's so sinister about our, our, our political duopoly is they cut off all political debate that's not, you know, again, like I said earlier, the red corporate party or the blue corporate party, that most people in America don't even think there's another choice. They don't even realize there's yep. independent candidates like Tiffany Bond, or they don't even realize there's a green party. You know what I mean? Like, it's... it's They've so monopolized political thought in America that the idea that we could ever have uh, an independent president or, you know, a socialist president or uh, a grassroots president, someone who wasn't bought by corporate money is just people think it's a pipe dream. But I would say at the end of the day, we we all want the same things and we want a government that's on our side and working for us, not working for, you know, the, the people at the top. So, you know, I think if you can build enough momentum, you can do anything. 
Anyways, go ahead. So let me pause real quick just to let people know that, you know, what I'm doing to make it be a real campaign. Because I think a lot of people are like, so you have people shop and that's your campaign. No, there's so much more. So campaign signs come up a lot. Instead of campaign signs, they're pretty horrible for the planet. You know, and I, I, one of the things I say is that if we don't have a habitable planet, none of the rest of it really matters much. Um, and we are getting close to things like food systems collapse. We are seeing more drastic changes in, in our weather. So I try to make it as, as good for the planet as possible. So instead of having campaign steins, which are bad for the planet and super expensive, you can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. I have, you can go to my website and you can download um, a window sign that you just download, print, tape in your window, recycle at the end of the season, way better for the planet. Also much more customizable. I can get out fun and interesting messages sort of on the fly. It takes about four minutes to create a sign and get it up on the website. So if somebody doesn't like the signs that I have or they want something different or there's something snarky that's going around Twitter, I can do that. I can have people post photos and share them online. I have about a hundred volunteers that are boots on ground in Maine. Um, I also have folks who are saying, you know, I don't want to buy chapstick or donate to a teacher, but, you know, I'll write out 10 postcards. I'll buy the postcards. I'll buy the stamps. You give me the addresses and I'll send them out to folks. So I've divvied up the mailing list for the voters in the state that way. I did actually invest in that this year. So that was, you know, that was my biggest purchase. It was $1,100. So that's the biggest thing that I bought. But then I go, uh, you know, my routine is basically I try to hand write notes to voters. I write out little thank you cards and I put a business card in there so they feel like they can really reach me, a real person who's running for office. I do somewhere between 10 and 100 of those a night. I go on just about any podcast that's available. I have volunteers on the ground. I ask people to do five-minute volunteering, so post some stuff on social media, text people you already know and say, hey, there's this person I want you to look up, talk to your friends and family, say something to the grocery store clerk. You know, low commitment, low dollar volunteering it makes it really easy to get a lot of volunteers to say, yeah, I could give you five minutes a week. That's not hard. Um, so there's all of that. Plus, I'm on any radio show I can get on, TV, et cetera. So it actually, when you add it all together between that and the events I do, and, you know, if I can't make it out on a day like today, I'm not making it out. I'm on a podcast and it's torrentially raining. There are no events I'm going to, but I just dropped 31 cards in the mail. So that's like 31 door knocks I did directly with handwritten notes. So it's it's a nice little hodgepodge of basically taking every piece of a campaign that normally is just purchased and finding ways to do it for low or no cost. And it's been so much fun to do it that way. And and I have to say, in some ways, your strategy is really working. I mean, you got on the debate stage, uh, you know, when you had your local debate. I see you have like 40-something thousand followers on Twitter. Uh, you know, you got 5% of the vote, which is a good amount uh, for uh, like only having to spend a nickel per vote. You know, so like there's something to be said about the fact that you're putting the energy uh, out there in your community and it's coming back to you and to your campaign and you're doing it without money, which I think is remarkable. So, and I would like to say when I ran in 2018, no one knew who I was. I, I am an introvert. I keep to myself, my social media presence. Like I had, I had newspaper people that were emailing me that were like, I don't know what you look like. I don't know how that's possible in 2018, but I don't know who you are. 
And I had maybe 17, 18 followers on my social media when I started. So even at the time of election, I probably only had, I still think I had maybe less than 10,000 followers on Twitter. And Twitter's kind of the main vehicle. I, you know, Facebook creeps me out. They're a little invasive and weird. And eh. um, I also have Instagram and I, um, so Instagram, I have Twitter. Twitter is kind of the main vehicle. I do a lot of stuff with email. Um, and then I have some supporters that I, I kind of let people embrace the campaign and run wild with some guidelines, you know, again, low wiener content, please. Uh, but, you know, make it fun, <laughs> make it yours, make it about what you like about the campaign. So if you're on TikTok, if you're on any of those vehicles, you know, tag the campaign. And if it's as long as it's wiener free and appropriate, I actually will promote it back through there. So it's really nice because it it's gone beyond, hey, give me money follow this account, give me a million followers and give me millions of dollars. Instead, it's we've made our own little community and that is so much fun. I feel like the person who called in had two other questions that I haven't answered though. So I will stop talking so she can ask those. Oh, you know what? I went to our next caller, but I see oh, she no. just got back in the queue. So Derek, why okay. don't you go ahead and ask your question and then we'll get, ba- we'll get back to you, Amanda, I promise. Yeah, I'll keep it quick. I'm sure Amanda has some good questions. Um, um, well, first of all, uh, I'm an independent, so thank you for running. We need more independents, uh, Democrats and Republicans. Wow. There's something else, aren't they? Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, th- yeah, thank you. Um, I think that uh, we really need to form a, like a stronger alliance of sorts, <clears throat> you know, between uh, independents, uh, uh, third party people across the board, um, including, you know, Green Party, Libertarian Party, etc. Um, w- when it comes to, uh, you know, reaching out to voters that are done with Democrats and Republicans, I think that's something that needs to be prioritized. So I'm curious if, uh, if you would support uh, separate debates for independent and third party candidates that would bring in the League of Women Voters as moderators and maybe even uh, creation of a League of Independent Voters, uh, assuming that that organization would closely mirror the League of Women Voters. I mean, sure, but I don't think there's the political energy or the amount of candidates necessary to do that. I will say I regularly sort of explain to people that are stuck in the two-party system because they're like, what ties independence together? It's not policy. And, you know, you kind of <laughs> tee say, well, policy doesn't seem to drive the parties much either. Fundraising does. Um, they don't think that's funny, though. Uh, but I, I think independents are tied together and we're tied together with personality traits. So I can tolerate a much wider swing philosophically, but you know, it requires me to believe that you're honest and you're working in good faith and you're authentic and you're not, you know, trying to shine one over on me. I mean, those are the qualities I'm looking for. Do I think you're going to make a wise and judicious decision on my behalf if you're representing me, even if we don't totally align on policy? And I think that the parties haven't picked that up yet because some of the candidates that both parties in differing degrees put forward are definitely missing those qualities. You know, they aren't authentic. They don't make you feel like they're making a decision in your best choice. They're, 
you know, Jared Golden's cracking lobster. Some people are running around flinging guns, right? And that's not policy. That's, that's showmanship. We have this super important, super all grown up set of jobs and we've got a game show as the job interview. So I do think that those, you know, debates and forums are helpful. I think it would be great to have them, but I don't think we have enough candidates to make them interesting and successful. So you're, we're kind of stuck in this. You need to eke up a few candidates that get elected. And then once some of those candidates get elected, we'll get more candidates. And then we'll start being able to have some of that critical mass to do some of those events. Right now, I try to, whenever I can, have joint events. Like we have another independent running for governor. You know, we're going to probably be having some joint um, digital town halls, you know, we'll, we'll try, we're, we're not close to each other geographically it means a quite large state, even though we're like four hours from each other. So we will probably do some digital events together. We've, you know, we've met together in person. Um, but it's hard to put together more than a, a handful of events with independence and Maine probably has more independence on ballot than most or all other states. One thing I'd like to just add to the, this, this, the, the caller brought up an interesting point. I think, it, gosh, I think it would be great to see a, a debate with, with a bunch of independents and a bunch of different, uh, you know, third party voters and, and independent voters. But one thing that actually I think would be better than that was I know you're in Maine, so they allow independents to debate because it's a ranked choice voting state. In most states, and especially in, in our national presidential elections, uh, which is controlled by the the presidential the committee for presidential debates. It used to be controlled by the League of Women Voters, but they control the the political debates for the presidential race, and they automatically exclude uh, any third parties and independents. Or they come up with arbitrary rules where oh they have to have a certain percentage of the vote. What I think would be would be great is if all independents and third parties. Uh, and, and anyone who really believes in democracy, if we all could come together and form a coalition that was that would put pressure on uh, the the national presidential debate committee to allow uh, third parties, if you're on the ballot, you should get to be at the debate uh, for the presidential race, and then also uh, within federal elections uh, for Congress and for Senate, uh, and also for state and local elections, like. We should not have, you know, what happens, we had someone uh, from San Diego on the podcast three months ago, and he was excluded from the debate. He was He's running with a, a party of socialism and liberation, and the, the Democrats and Republicans just refused to allow him on the, uh, on the debate stage, and the media market that controlled the debate refused to allow him. What we need is, because most people just casually pay attention to politics, we need a coalition that is – and that, that is making sure that every candidate who's on the ballot is on the debate stage for every race. I think just that would open the door in this country to so much more and it would open the conversation. And I also think it would make the debates a lot more interesting. I mean, the debates between Biden and Trump were just, I mean, they were not interesting at all. I mean, there was no interesting discussion. It was, you know, it was, it was just barbs back and forth. I think if you had different thought, political thought up on the debate stage and you had different candidates and candidates that weren't funded by corporations, you, you, the people could start to see how the system really works. Um, so anyways, I think that'd be something that, that, sorry, I'm going on a tangent here, but it would be nice that I love that they let you on the debate stage, uh, uh, Tiffany in, in Maine, but unfortunately a lot of independent candidates and third party candidates aren't even allowed to debate, uh, on the, de on the debate stage, either they're excluded by the, by the two parties or by the media company in their market who's controlling that debate.
So I'm going to pause you for a second to give you some information about Maine. Um, they don't let independents debate because of ranked choice voting. They let independents debate because independents win here. If you go back to like 1975 for our governors, for example, we had independent Democrat, Republican, independent Democrat, Republican, and we've got a Democrat right now. So two of our last seven. And if we'd had ranked choice voting, it would have been at least three, if not four of the last seven governors have been independent in Maine. We have an incredibly independent streak here. So does Alaska. And I think that's why you're seeing ranked choice voting go into those, because even though we haven't applied it to our gubernatorial race yet, which might have something to do with the Democrats, um, even though we haven't applied it to it, that's how we got it. We got got ranked choice voting in Maine because um, when Paula Page ran, Elliot Cutler, who was an independent, came in less than 10,000 votes behind him. And then the Democrat was 100,000 votes in the rearview mirror. So we we have a ton of independent voters here. Um, and to sort of, you know, loop back around and piggyback on what we're talking about, if you really want to swing the bat around and show you have the power to make that happen, win Maine and Alaska. That's how we do it. We We say, okay, you think we don't have any power, so you exclude us. We're going to make sure independents make it through in Maine and Alaska. And I haven't checked on the Maine or the Alaska primary. I guess I could do that right now. They had their primaries uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, I think they had them on my wedding anniversary, actually. Or no, my birthday. They're, my wedding anniversary and birthday are a day apart. So um, Happy belated. Yeah, well, I'm 46, so it's not like it's a milestone there. Um, but if we can get independents through... And the only race to do that in in Maine is is with me because it just was a it was a heck of a year to get the signatures necessary. It's we still have a lot of pandemic measures in place and we lost basically all of January and they didn't extend any deadlines this year. So there were other independents trying to run. They just didn't get anywhere. But if, if independents start getting into office, they'll start taking us seriously. I mean, that's the problem. We're in that catch-22. Do we get independents into office or do we build, you know, the party to get people into office? And I think you've got to do both in different ways. Agreed. Uh, Jenny, do you want to ask your question? Welcome to the show. Thank you. I love the model that you're outlining here, Tiffany, with your campaign. And it's been estimated it takes about two weeks for most members of Congress to get completely compromised by corporate money. So um, this model of you not taking that money indicates to me that you want to go in with a pure heart Mm. and do the work of the people. And Mm. I really think that model is what we need going forward, that um, instead of wasting all of your time as a congressperson on fundraising, which so many of them do, that's like the first thing they're thinking about when they get in office. uh, It's instead it's let's do the people's work. So applause, applause from me. I'm a libertarian. What do you think we could do to get this plurality of parties uh, working together? You know, it's funny. I, I probably am. The, I'm a mashup of a whole bunch of views and views that don't fit into a party as well. But my biggest supporters are usually libertarians and greens. And you wouldn't think they have a lot in common, but they actually do. And especially in Maine, they actually play together pretty nicely. You know, they they kind of go in on lawsuits together and they recognize that they have the same overall problem. And that's, you know, that they can't get the critical mass 
to charge to to charge against the two parties. And so they actually are pretty collegial in Maine. Um, and I'd like to think that that's something that can spread. Um, and I don't know that their views are necessarily diametrically opposed either. You know, the Libertarian Party really believes in freedom of movement. That's something that the Greens really love. Um, both of them look for uh, or not necessarily early intervention, but making sure that we're prudent with our spending. So, you know, they might have different ways to skin that cat, um, but it's something that they both care about, right? Um, so, for example, for climate change, it doesn't matter if you're into climate change because it's a human rights issue, and it is, or if you're into cli- climate change issue as an issue because if the longer we wait to address it, the more taxing it's going to be on us as individuals, and it will be, it's it's the same outcome that you need to serve both those goals. And so I think there is a lot of overlap between those parties. I do too. Well, I do too. I mean, as campaign. a green part, as someone who votes green, I, I this took me a, a minute to, to, to see, but uh, when it comes to being anti-war, I mean, libertarians are more anti-war uh, than, than Democrats. Uh, and when it comes to free speech, uh, libertarians are more, uh, uh, you know, pro-free speech than Democrats are. Um, so I agree with, with libertarians on that. I think the only place that greens and socialists, you know, obviously will disagree with libertarians is when it comes to economics, which is a big thing. Um, I just don't see, you know, we don't have to get into to the debate now, but I, I am all for building coalitions with people who want to get away from these two corporate parties and who are anti-war and, um, pro-free speech. Uh, you know, we can, we can fight on the, the economy and, and capitalism kind of after afterwards. I just don't think that that capitalism is sustainable. I don't think that I think that most of the inequality that exists today is because uh, when you concentrate capital uh, in the hands of very few and, and, and you give big business all this power, this is what what happens. It creates a society that's unbalanced, that's unequal. And I just don't think that, that more of it is going to be the solution. But again, I love that libertarians are, are for free speech, that they're not trying to kick people off of ballots. Um, I see them very, very, very much supporting the Green Party. Um, and I see the Greens you know, supporting libertarians. I do think, though, that there's some Democrats who are very like, you know, they, they want to make sure that all of us are fighting each other. They, you know, they want to paint libertarians as Republicans, you know, just the divide and conquer stuff that, that I really don't like. But, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for libertarians the more I, 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 I do this work. And I do agree that we need to build broad coalitions of people who are against the two corporate parties. I do too. And Ryan, good luck with your, Ryan, your, good luck with your thank race, you. Tiffany. If I was there, I'd vote for you. I'm so sorry to interrupt. There's a little bit of a lag. Uh, Ryan, we don't have time to discuss it tonight, but I actually, you know, maybe it's a podcast for the future that we could do together. I don't know that you're actually that far off from economic issues either. Well, we will, we can do that. We can revisit that's a, that. For an, that's, a, that's a long conversation, but, yes, you know, is. environmental leaning, but also MBA having me, I, I, I have some thoughts that you're actually really actually substantially closer than it seems on economic issues as well. Very good. Uh, why don't we get back uh, and thank you so much for your call, Jenny. Uh, you're, you, it was fantastic. I really appreciated it. And uh, I agree that, that just your approach to this campaign, Tiffany, and not uh, you know, taking money and, and taking corporate money, it, it, it means you are, you want to get in there and do the people's work and, and you want to lead with your heart. I think that was very well said from Jenny. Um, why don't we get back to Amanda and then we are at the hour mark. So then, then we'll wrap up. Uh, but go ahead, Amanda. 
Thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask, because today is Women's Equality Day. Today is the anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment for women. And one of the ways I think you might be able to raise your profile nationally would be to get ERA certified. So the ERA coalition, which is working to get the 20, 28th Amendment added to the Constitution, is certifying candidates. And um, right now, um, District 1, the incumbent, um, is is certified, um, and the main Democratic candidate in your district is not, it's unknown what his position is on the ERA. So if you just go well, to- He's a, not going to take one. Come on. He, Golden's not going to take that. <laughs> so, so you could get, and they, and they do press releases. They work with campaigns. It doesn't cost you anything. You go just to electequality.org. And it'll, it has all the information there for you for your campaign to get certified. And it's just a questionnaire. They just want to, you know, make sure that you are on the side of equal rights, regardless of sex. That is a wonderful resource. Thank you. I will look it up. I wish you all the luck this coming November. I'm sure you don't need luck because it sounds like you're doing a lot of hard work and that Maine would be lucky to have you representing them. Thank you so much. You know what? I, I don't think I need luck. I think I need just a small bucket of passion from anybody who's willing to lend a little. Well, I'm, I hope that that resource is helpful to you. Thank you so much. You got it. And Tiffany, as we're kind of wrapping up here, uh, what are some kind of closing thoughts? Uh, what do you want people to know about you that would make you an effective legislator and advocate uh, for the people in your district and, and also for the country? Uh, because I think that, as we've seen, a lot of you know people who serve in the House, the parties use use those positions to kind of uh, you know, we, we see, you know, all the, you know, whether it's the Republicans and Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Democrats and AOC, they're starting to, you know, house people take on national profiles and they kind of use them to boost their party's fundraising. What would you, what would it mean to send an independent and someone like you who's not bought by, by corporate money and who's not beholden to either party? Uh, what would it mean for, for your district and what would it mean for our country to have someone like you serve? I mean, I'd actually be doing the job as a, one of the callers earlier alluded to. These races are tens of millions of dollars if you run conventionally. And if you're just going to fundraise a million dollars a year and you take, I don't know, take take two weeks off for vacation and a 40-hour week, you're, you're having to fundraise $500 an hour for a 40-hour work week to get a million dollars a year. That's literally all they have time to do. They're not doing this job. Um, and I've gotten um, some interesting comments in local media over it. You know, I... If you look on my Twitter page, I actually have one of my moments is just a bunch of bill reads. So I'm like, look, I'll make sample work product. You know, I actually go yeah. through and read this stuff. Um, and, and it's gotten to the point where I've even trained the local reporters enough that the first question they ask is, well, I want to ask you for comments on this bill, but have you read it yet? Because I know you don't comment on things you haven't read. And, uh, you know, that's what we should be asking of everybody that is 
doing this job? You know, what did you like about it? What section was important? How do you think it's going to help or hurt? No bill is perfect. What are the trade-offs here? You know, and, and what, how was your weighting of that equation? And we don't ask our representatives that. That's information we actually shouldn't have to ask them. They should provide that to us, but they don't actually do the job. They've outsourced the job so that they can fundraise. So I think what you'd see from me is doing the job <laughs> that we need a little bit more of, actually a lot bit more of in, in Congress. I mean, what motivates me, uh, you know, there's usually three main motivators for people who are interested in running for Congress. They, they either want money, power, or attention. And I'm not particularly motivated by any of those I'm a practicing family law attorney, so I work with federal law all day long, and it's poorly written. It makes my job hard. So I actually want to go fix the law. I want to make sure that, you know, every other developed country has a a wonderful safety net or at least a more comprehensive safety net that we do. And we have women, which is fun for the, you know, half of us. So we need to have a real safety network. We need to make sure that we're being responsible to the environment. We need to make sure that we're being responsible to budgets. We need to make sure that every time we, we touch our law, we make it better and better can be measured by better return on investment. Better can be measured by it's helping more people or it's more effective in its goals. And we really need to be sending people that think of themselves as guardians of the law. I mean, this is the scaffolding that our entire country is built around. And right now we've got a bunch of circus clowns doing the job. Well, and, and, and just to piggyback on what you're saying, a, a lot of times you'll, you'll see them tell on themselves, Democrats and Republicans will send tweets. They'll say, oh, you know, we just got handed this legislation last night. I've barely even read it all. And now I have to vote on it. So I'm like, wait a second. You're admitting that you, you just got, you just received this legislation. Aren't you supposed to be writing the legislation? So who's writing it? Oh, that's right. Corporate lobbyists are writing it. And people, yep. you know, people that have been hired uh, and your staff are writing the legislation or people who've been, you know, the parliamentarian now is, is, is deciding legislation, right? All of a sudden, especially if it's like, you know, if it's going to help too many people, she'll overrule it. Um, you know, the, the, a position that we don't even get to vote on, you know, that, that Democrats love to bring up when, they, when, when any kind of popular legislation like the $15 minimum wage was, was, you know, could could maybe pass the senate so you know i mean it's just it's the system is so corrupt and these parties are the ones who've corrupted it so i just you know the definition of insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result a very smart man by the name of albert einstein said that and yet here in this country we keep sending the same two parties uh uh to 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 represent us and they're not representing us at all so we have to shake up the table we have to shake up the system uh and i think that you do that by electing people who are independent uh who are not beholden to corporate money and tiffany i really appreciate you taking time on a friday night to to talk with us tonight i've gotten so much out of this you are so uh, just dynamic and uh you lead with your heart and you're engaging and you're interesting and um you know i think that this your maine the second district of maine would be so lucky to have you and our country would be so lucky to have uh people like you uh writing legislation uh that, that impacts every part of our life and, and not you know two people two parties who just spend all their time fundraising so thank you so much for doing this and, and and thank you all for joining us tonight and we will be back with another episode of unruly uh next week oh Finally, one more thing. Most importantly, Tiffany, how can people uh, get involved in your campaign? Where can they go to 
learn about the charities you want them to donate to or, uh, you know, to learn how they can volunteer for five minutes a week to, to, to help your efforts. Uh, where do they go to do that? And also, where do they go to follow you on Twitter? Sure. I'm at Tiffany Bond, so pretty easy to remember. Um, if you don't like the nonsense of politics and you just need a space that's very positive, you can also follow at Main Raising. All that that account talks about is how you can help people. It doesn't talk about any of the policy, any of the other issues, just how to help other people. And the website and that was is Main Raising. Main, yeah, at Main Raising on Twitter. And um, the website is bond, like James, the number four dot M-E. So it's nice and short. And there's also a page on there for how to get involved. There's a, a form you can fill out if you'd like to volunteer or like to write some postcards. Uh, and you know what I what I would encourage all the folks that are listening to do is take a few minutes every week and try to find independent candidates that Makes sense. And in this year, it's probably going to be Maine and Alaska. Find those candidates, send that extra tweet, do that extra little bit of gossip. You, you can use gossip to power campaigns and it is much more effective than money. Well said, Tiffany. Thank you again. Have a beautiful weekend and we'll be in touch. Thank you so much for having me. 